have you ever seen that guy? Not on the screen, maybe sitting next to you. Um, I know that sometimes it's really hard, uh, especially, you know, there are things that can happen in our, our daily routine that make it hard to stay awake. Uh, do you remember as a child, I can rem- I have distinct memories of sitting by my mom and leaning on her shoulder and going to sleep as my dad preached, and then you would have that dream where you're falling, you know, and you would jerk, you know, like that, your arms fly out and uh, you make a big scene and embarrass yourself. A few years ago, I was preaching, and uh, well, right about where Barry's sitting, there was a man, really good man. Um, he had uh, some, some, I think maybe mental deficiencies a little bit, but I've never heard a man pray uh, more sincere prayers than, than that gentleman did. But he was supposed to lead closing prayer one particular Sunday. <clears throat> I don't know if it was something that I said in my sermon. He had fallen asleep, but there was something that triggered, and he thought he was late in leading the prayer. And he just jumped up in the middle of my sermon and said, Will you? Pr-? And then just sat right back down, uh, embarrassed himself after death. Um, but sometimes we find ourselves sleepy, and we go to sleep in church. But that's really not what I want to talk about this morning. I I want to talk about something very similar. Just as a person can go to sleep and miss out on their worship to God, they can go to sleep in their lifestyle and drift away from God and miss many blessings as well. I will never forget when I was a, a boy growing up, there was a family that all that I knew about them was, man, they were there every service. They never missed. They were the most faithful people that I, you know, among the, the top of the list that I would put if you were to ask me. But my dad told me uh, a number of years later about a, a time pr- prior in their life where they decided to sleep, take a spiritual slumber. And it was when their children were growing up that they made that choice, and um, they lost their children. They came back, they were penitent, they gave themselves fully to Jesus and his kingdom, but they could never reclaim their children that they lost as they were in their spiritual slumber. I I don't want that to happen to us. Uh, there may be times in your life when you find yourself closer to God and times when you have, you know, you can realize it yourself that you're drifting. Um, it's those times when we are tempted to go to sleep, spiritually speaking, to, to get a little drowsy that I want to uh, talk about th- this morning. In your Bible, <clears throat> in Ephesians 5 and verse 14, the text says, that we are to awake, those of us who are asleep, and we're to arise from the dead, he calls it, and Christ will give us life. The, the phrase asleep, you know, he, he compares it to just being asleep. Our spiritual contribution can be like a person who is asleep, dead. But if we'll wake up, he says, we, we can have life. In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 34, you remember the Apostle Paul said to the church of Corinth, he said, awake to righteousness. Uh, 
wake up, guys. Man, there's so many opportunities around you. And he said, and, and in this particular case, there are some who, do not, who do not have the knowledge of God. Here's this church situated in Corinth, and people don't know about God. And he says, guys, wake up. There are people that don't have the knowledge of God. Awake to righteousness. In Romans 13, in verse 11, it says that, uh, well, it's high time to awake out of sleep. High time. That sounds almost like something your mother or father might tell you. It's high time you awake out of sleep, he says. Well, I want us to look at three things this morning. I want us to see what will happen... Um, or how do we awake from our spiritual slumber? Then I want to talk about what that will do. And then I want us to talk about how it will affect us. Um, Let's start, first of all, how do you awaken from spiritual slumber? Turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 13 with me and begin reading with me. I want to read verses 11 through 14. And do this, knowing the time that it is now high time to awake out of sleep. There's that phrase. He says, listen, guys, you need to wake up. Now, why and how? For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. There's the reason to awaken, because the Lord is coming back. And if he doesn't come back soon, well, you're going to die in the not-too-near-distant future. Every day you live, you're getting closer to that encounter with God you better wake up. Your salvation is nearer than it ever was before. The night is far spent and the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness or lust, not having strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. That's how we're supposed to wake up. What do you do when you're sleepy? What do you, I I remember hearing a preacher one time say, there's no excuse for falling asleep in church. I don't know that I would go that far. But here's what he said to defend his position. He said, if you find yourself really sleepy, then go stand in the back. And if you fall asleep standing up, when you hit the ground, you'll wake up again and, you know, and, and stand back up. I, I think that's a little bit too far. Uh, there are circumstances that come into play. I, I certainly understand that. But here's what Paul says. Guys, wake up. And if you don't know how to do that, let me tell you what you need to do. And he gives us a list of five things. Cast off the works of darkness. Stop sinning. If you find yourself in a spiritual slumber where you're getting drowsy and you're not on fire for the Lord, stop sinning. Sinning has a way to pull us away from God. It creates distance between us and God. And so he says, quit. Make a decision. Stop sinning. And put on the armor of light. Arm yourself with the right things. Stop doing the things you shouldn't do and start doing the things you should do. He also says, let us walk properly. Behave yourself. Do the things that God has called you to do. Get active. Walk. Don't just sit, but walk. It's hard to sleep when you're walking. And he says, put on Jesus Christ. We need to put on Christ. 
You know, there are people who try to reform their lives. I don't do too many things that are bad. I, I try to behave a little bit. I, I don't want to do, you know, I don't want to be a danger to my neighborhood or my society. And I'm a pretty decent neighbor. And you, you can't get to heaven by reforming your life. It, it requires more than that. You have to put on Jesus. Uh, just being a friend of Jesus isn't enough either. You have to put him on. We know that we do that through obedience to the gospel. And then he says, and make no provision for the flesh. Once you make this decision to quit sinning and start doing what's right, and I'm going to put on Christ, from there, don't give opportunity to get sleepy. Don't, don't let things, you know, don't feed those things in your life that can pull you away. Don't go to movies that you know up front are going to have stuff in it that is going to test your faithfulness or clutter your mind with things that it ought not be filled in the mind of one who is trying to be like Jesus, like God. Um, make no provision for the flesh. So that's how we wake up, by doing those things. Well, what happens when we put on Christ, when we do those things? Well, we become like him. Do you remember what the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 2 and verse 20? I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul said, I don't live for myself anymore. You see, I put on Christ, and when I did that, I died. But no, not really died. I died to myself, but I'm still alive. But from now on, I live for Jesus. I'm going to try to imitate and be like him. Same thing is said in Colossians 1 and verse 27. Also Romans chapter 8, verse 29. It's the will of God that we be conformed to the image of his Son. So, you know, when I obey the gospel and I say I'm through with sin... I want to start doing things that are right. I'm going to put on Christ. And when I put on Christ, that means I'm going to be like him. I'm, I'm going to have a resemblance. There's going to be a family resemblance there. And, and I'm going to start living for him instead of for self. Well, when I do that, what does that mean practically? How will that change my life? And this is the challenge for this morning's lesson, this last part. How will it change my life if I live for him? Turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 8. We're going to spend the rest of the time in Matthew chapter 8. In this chapter, we have some interactions that Jesus had with people, and I think they the qualities that are demonstrated or displayed in Matthew chapter 8 will help us to see what we will be if we put on Christ. The first thing that we see is that Jesus, well, he cared for people. In Matthew 8, verses 1 through 4, Jesus is encounters a leper. Leper colonies, lepers were isolated from society because they were contagious 
they had to even holler out to you. You couldn't get close enough, and they would have to cover their mouth when they yelled so that the germs that God knew about, but man didn't even know about at that time, would be, you know, would not carry in, in the wind. Um, and, and so they would holler out unclean. And here's a, a leper who comes to Jesus, probably disfigured. If it had its way long enough, it would disfigure you. Literally, the extremities would, would rot off. And uh, eventually, you would die a slow and, and painful and isolated death away from the people that love you the most, your own family. Here's a man who's a leper, and he wants help. And, and, and you know what miracles were done for? You know, Matthew chapter 16, it says that God gave them power to cast out demons and to do these miracles to confirm the word. They were intended to, to say, you know, if somebody came in our presence today and said, everybody, listen to me, I'm the son of God. And so I want you to start and I start barking. You wouldn't believe that. Who does this man think he is claiming to be the son of God? That, that's kind of crazy talk. But what if a person comes in claiming to be the Son of God and he says, watch this. This man who's been lame from birth, rise up and walk. This lady over here that's been blind, you can now see. This woman here who's had an issue of blood for 12 years, been to every physician around, you're healed. This man over here in this graveyard over here, let's walk over there for a minute and I'm going to speak to him, and pretty soon you'll see the ground start breaking free and his hand pop out. And when you see that, you help him on out the rest of the way. If I could do those things, does that not then give validity to my claims? That was the purpose, the primary purpose of miracles. But when Jesus meets this leper, and and uh, listen... He comes, behold, he came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him and said, I'm willing, be clean, cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. But now get this, look at the very next verse. And Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one. But go your way, show yourself to the priest and offer a gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Don't tell anybody about this. Wait, I thought that was the purpose of miracles. You did tell people. You know what Jesus of Nazareth did for me? He said, I don't want you to. So this wasn't one of those miracles that was done to confirm who he was. I believe it was done because Jesus cared. He was just compassionate. He saw a man whose life had been turned upside down and who was desperate, and he cared. That's the Jesus that we served, a God who cares for people. And, you know, you can look at John eleven thirty five. of course, that Jesus wept, shortest verse in the English Bible, and... and um, you know, we have often, I'm sure you've heard, we often make the point, why would he cry? He knew he was going to raise Lazarus. Why, why would that touch him? Well, the people were heartbroken. And as Mary and Martha are crying at his feet, if you had only been here, 
To them, it was real. Lazarus was dead. Jesus knew all along that he was coming back, but he saw their pain and he was touched. Have you ever seen some of these videos? Do do you ever, I mean, do you know what it's like to get touched, you know, by things that you see and the people around you? Um, A couple videos on YouTube from a few years ago. Do you remember the, the autistic young man that was a manager for a basketball team? He never played. He was just the manager, but he loved basketball. And so the last game of the season, the coach puts him in. And you know what he goes out and does in four minutes? He hits six three-pointers, scores 20 points on the night. The, the place went nuts. I mean, they picked this kid up and carried him on a show. I can't watch that without just getting choked up. I mean, it's... It's touching. Just uh, in spring ball here um, about a week or so ago, the University of Nebraska had, uh, you know, their, their spring game. And, and there's a little six-year-old boy, five-year-old boy who is dying of cancer. They let him suit up, and uh, he took the handoff from the quarterback. All these big old guys for Nebraska or playing and they're, they, you know, act like they're, you know, really engaged and, and he starts to the left at first and then cuts it back and runs around and he thinks he's outdoing the whole team, you know, this little six year old and he runs to the end zone. He, he scored a touchdown and all those guys on the team and the guys on the bench poured out into that end zone and picked that boy up and man, you know, I can't watch stuff like that without being touched. That's, that's what Jesus was all about. He saw the plight of people and he cared. To be like Jesus is not to be hard-hearted and to have a heart of stone where you see people in their condition and it's like, oh, well, so what? Tough luck. You know, that's shame. Or even to say, well, you get what you deserve. He cared. Here's something else that we see about Jesus in Matthew chapter 8. If you look at verses uh, 5 through 10, Jesus complimented people. In the same chapter, beginning in in verse 5 and going through verse 13, there's a centurion who has a servant who needs healing, and he sends servants to Jesus and says, will you heal him? Come heal my servant. And the whole thing about you don't even have to come into my house. I'm not worthy for you to come in my house. I trust you. enough. If you just speak it, it is done. And Jesus could have just spoken it done and gone on his way. The manservant is healed, everybody's fine, and everybody goes their separate ways. Jesus wouldn't let that happen. The man needs Jesus to help him with his situation and the faith that he exhibited. I want you to look at what Jesus said in verse 10. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, no, not in all Israel. He complimented the man. He didn't have to say that. 
He could have given that man what he was requesting and, and nothing more be said. But he took it a step further and he said, guys, listen, you see this man right here? I want you to know something about him. I have never seen faith like this before, not even among the children of God. He was a Gentile. He said, I haven't even seen this kind of faith among the Jews. Why did he do that? Because that's what Jesus was about. He lifted people up. He made them be changed people. When they, when they have an encounter with him and they go away, they don't soon forget. He, he complimented. He, he went that extra mile and, and stated good things about that person. You know what Romans 14 and verse 19 says? It says that we ought to pursue the things that make for peace and whereby we might edify one another. If you know of a way to make someone feel good, if you know of a way to build somebody up, then say it. Do it. How often do people do things deserving of a pat on the back, encouragement, a, a word spoken in their praise, and we, we leave it unsaid? We don't do anything. That's not what Jesus was about. Jesus said, wait, I want you to know something here. This man, I've never seen faith like his. He complimented. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27 says, Do not withhold good from whom it is due when it's within the power of your hand to do it. If you can do good, do good. If you can build people up, if by just taking a moment to say that kind thing, to make that observation. You change people's lives in so doing. And then look at the last thing that I want to share with you this morning, and that is, well, chapter 8, beginning about verse 28, going through verse 34. And it's that Jesus changed people. In this section of Scripture, there were two demon men possessed um, when they saw Jesus, they ran to him and they, they recognized who he was. They said, if you come to torment me before my time, and Jesus cast the demons out of those two men, brought them back to their right mind, enabling them to re-engage society, go back to their families or whatever it is that they were doing before they were overcome by these demons. But the point is, he changed them. Before they lived in the tombs, they were scary. They tried to contain them a time or two, but they would break the chains as they tried to, to contain them. They, they were, I don't think anybody walked by there at nighttime all alone. These guys were scary. But Jesus completely changed them. Now they're sitting in the right mind. They're no longer who they used to be. And isn't that what Jesus came to do for people, to change them, to get them in their right mind? We've sinned, we've chosen to pursue courses that are outside the will of God. And he says, guys, come back, get, get back on the road. I can take you from death to life. And that's basically what Jesus said in John 5 and verse 24. You, you believe in me and I'll move you from death to life. And also in first, second Corinthians, excuse me, chapter five and verse 17, in Christ Jesus, we're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 
Jesus can change us. Has he changed you? You know, as we think about, you know, being that person that's kind of, I'm getting a little drowsy. Church, religion, Christianity, the kingdom, Jesus. Oh, kind of bore me right now. If you find yourself moving in that direction, wake up. Awake to righteousness. Give yourself to God. And when you do, put on Jesus. You know what that's going to result in? It means you're going to be like Him. And that means specifically, you're going to care about people. You're going to compliment people. And you're going to help change people. As we leave here today and go to our jobs and our school and and our neighborhoods this week, I want you to think about these three things from Matthew chapter 8. I want you to think about trying to be more and more like Jesus this week and think specifically what that means. That means I'm going to show compassion. I'm going to care about people. I'm going to speak compliments to people to whom they're worthy. And I'm going to help point them to Jesus and help them see Jesus in me so that their lives can be changed like my life has been changed by the power of God. Think about what it means to arise, to awaken to righteousness. It means to be like Jesus. If you're here this morning, you're not yet a child of God, why don't you obey the gospel? Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. If you haven't done that, do that this morning. We'll assist you in that. If, if you've done it already, but you find yourself drifting, you're, you're that person that's kind of, well, you get a little sleepy. Not sitting in a service, but your life is not on fire anymore. Ask God to forgive you. Pray for strength. Pray for direction. And we'll pray with you to that end. If you need to respond, we invite you to come as we stand together and sing.